0: Often in today's society, motherhood isn't valued much. Across the country, children are put into daycare centers while mom pursues a career. But what about the priority of family established in the beginning?
1: God has placed within us this imprint that the role of mother is irreplaceable and worthy.
0: This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. Growing up, we didn't appreciate her the way we should have. Even though she was cook, counselor, nurse, and chauffeur, there's no one else like her. What would we have done without mom? Join us for the next 15 minutes as we discuss creation and the importance of mothers. Wendy Wright is president of Concerned Women for America. She says the creator places a high value on motherhood.
1: The very first reference to mother in the Bible is uh, is, uh, Eve's name. In Genesis 3.20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And I think this reflects the importance that God has put on motherhood. So God has given women this unique role that cannot be replaced by men, Yes, men can do a wonderful job as single parents, but I think they'd be the first ones to recognize that they cannot do all that God intended for their children that a a woman, that a mother can do. God created motherhood to have a unique bond that is like nothing else. And we see this reflected by God's references to even his own role toward us as Jesus described that he wished to envelop Israel as a mother hen, envelops her young. Each of the references to motherhood in the Bible is one that signifies a distinct and close bond that is unlike any other. Women should consider this such a unique privilege and not consider it something demeaning as, sadly, secularists in our society do.
0: Dr. John Whitcomb, president of Christian Workman Schools of Theology in Indiana, tells us about a few good Old Testament mothers.
1: Look at what Exodus
2: chapter 2 says about the mother of Moses. It says that this woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And of course, at that time, the Pharaoh was going to kill every baby boy in Israel. And we know that Moses was so deeply influenced by his mother that he never, never was confused about where he belonged and to whom he belonged to the God of Israel, and became God's mighty instrument against Satan's power in Egypt and to lead the people in the Exodus. We also read in the Book of Ruth about the daughter-in-law of Naomi, who became an ancestress of Jesus. And it says in Ruth three eleven she was a a woman of excellence. I mean, she was just had a very wonderful reputation. And she was, to the people of Bethlehem, better to Naomi than seven sons. And she became the ancestress of David, of course, humanly speaking, the ancestor of the Lord Jesus himself. In First Samuel, we read about Hannah, who desperately wanted a son. And she made a vow to the Lord, "If Lord, if you give me a baby boy, I will dedicate him full-time as a lifelong Nazarite to serve you in that temple in Shiloh. And so we read that God answered her prayer, which is beautifully set forth here in the first three chapters of First Samuel. And she cared for him, and I read First Samuel 2.19, this is so precious. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So she not only prayed for this boy but loved him and taught him every opportunity she had and that is why Samuel turned out to be a marvelous prophet of God in
0: ancient Israel. In the New Testament, we find a certain mother and grandmother who greatly influenced one of Paul's future disciples.
2: Timothy's father was an unbeliever, a pagan, but his mother, thank God, was a believing Jewess. Now, as you follow through what Paul says about this woman. You read in Second Timothy, the last letter that Paul ever wrote, and he wrote it, of course, to his favorite disciple, Timothy, and this is what he said. I, I'm greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance, now here it is, the unfeigned faith, that's genuine faith, that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also. In other words, even though father was not a believer, the mother Eunice was. And she learned how to believe in God and believe the Bible from her mother Lois.
0: Dr. Whitcomb adds that Timothy's faith was anchored in scripture because of the teaching by his mother.
2: Paul said, Continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And you see, friend, that's because These dear mothers that I have referred to in the Bible, the mother of Moses, the uh, mother of David's grandfather, Ruth, uh, the mother of Samuel, Hannah, and Eunice, the mother of Timothy, had one thing in common, didn't they? They honored, loved the same Lord and listened to his precious word day by day in their heart as they grew to know him and love him and teach his truth to their children.
0: Mom has many roles to fill, especially if she or her husband is serving the Lord in some form of ministry. ICR President Dr. John Morris recalls how his mother was his father's valuable partner in the creation ministry. He says his father, ICR founder Dr. Henry Morris, wouldn't have succeeded very well without Mrs. Morris.
3: My father was a very godly man and a a brilliant man and able to accomplish great things on his own. But I suspect that many of those things that he accomplished, many of the books that he wrote, many of the crusades that he that he launched and starting ICR and starting a num- numerous organizations, he couldn't have done any of that without a woman, without a helper, without the complement to him that completed him, that helped him fill his responsibilities. My mother bears a great deal of the of uh, the fruit from the the creation movement that he is given credit for starting, but it was actually the two of them that started it. She supported him and allowed him to do what God had called him to do, and, and the two of them then
0: accomplished a great deal in God's service. One example of this is how Mrs. Morris would care for the family while Dr. Morris wrote creation books. One of his major works was
3: the book The Genesis Flood, and he wrote that, uh, it came out in 1961, I was still a teenager in the home when he wrote that book, and I remember him spending hours just pecking away at a typewriter. But, uh, the fact is, there were six kids in my family, and it was a small house, and how in the world he could isolate himself in his, in his little cocoon there to do that work, that took my mother. She kept peace and harmony in the home allowing my father then to do the work that he was called to do. It wasn't that he isolated himself from the kids. I mean, he was able to put down his book and turn his attention to the wife and the family when necessary. But it was also necessary that he uh, have this alone time that, that he could spend in, in his study and in writing. And she afforded him that opportunity.
0: A mother's role in the home is very important and indeed irreplaceable. However, in today's society, worldly philosophy says just the opposite. Wendy Wright explains.
1: There are some radical feminists, including even UN committees, that claim that all women should be in the workforce because, in their eyes, that's more important than raising a child. In fact, there's a UN committee on women's rights that criticized one country because, as they said, only 30% of women who had young children under the age of three were in the workforce. They believe that 100% of women uh, with young children should be in the workforce. Now consider how this would work out on a practical level. That would mean that it would be more important for a woman to be working in a daycare center raising other people's children than it would be for her to be at home raising her own children. So there are Tremendous efforts and pressure put on women to be in the workforce, and there's even public policies and laws and court cases that come from that viewpoint that women's roles as mothers should be denigrated and even discouraged, but they're running against the tide of human nature. God has placed within us this imprint that, in fact, the role of mother is irreplaceable and valuable and worthy and all the government efforts to denigrate motherhood are going to backfire.
0: We can see that when God's rules and principles are not followed, failure becomes inevitable.
1: Sadly, these attempts have had some success in many women taking on that idea that motherhood should be demeaned and denigrated and that they ought to be in the workforce. And because of that, we have a number of families that end up being broken up uh, because of the pressure put on women to be in the workforce, this idea that motherhood is not important, that a village can raise a child as well as a mother can. This idea that denigrates family has resulted in an increase in broken families. And the individuals pay the price and society pays the price for that. The social science data proves out that young people who are more likely to engage in destructive behavior, juvenile delinquency, academic problems, alcohol and drug use and abuse, early sexual experiences, that those people are more likely to come from broken families than to come from a two-parent family with a mother and father married to one another and devoted to their families.
0: If you're a mother... God has given you a special role to fulfill in your life. But whether you're a mother or not, the most important thing in all of our lives is to have a right relationship with our Creator. Dr. Whitcomb explains.
2: What a wonderful opportunity God has opened to you to believe in Jesus, His beloved Son, who paid for your sins on that cross, confirmed by His resurrection from the dead. God so loved the world. That includes mothers and grandmothers, doesn't it? Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To have that now. You don't have everlasting life someday, perhaps, maybe, but now is God's gift. And it's a perfect gift, a perfect provision to say, Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior and to give me assurance of everlasting life by your mercy, love, and grace, now. And I say thank you, Lord, for that provision for everybody in the world, and as we focus right now our attention especially on mothers.
0: As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, Why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR? The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.